What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 6A to the Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Monday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Neil Payne, 538 is here. Neil, good evening, sir. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, how often do people get both of your names, your first and last, correct the first time they meet you? Do they get when they spell it? Like, how often? Spelling-wise. Yeah, it's it's not it's not too common because I have the um, at least when I was growing up, especially the off-brand spelling of both of them. Like <laughs> yeah. the any any a l uh, was was far more common. Like when we were looking for uh, you know the little like keychains that had your name on them. Uh, growing up, I could always find a Neil with any a l, never the any i l, and then of course the last name usually spelled p a y y n e, not p a i n e. So yeah, it's a little uncommon uh, to to get both right. Shout out to my parents, by the way. I guess they could really only control one of those, though. Well, I can I can re- relate a little bit because my legal name has zero mention of Chase in it. My so my parents made it difficult too for me. Where um, my middle name actually has a C, so people assume it's Henry Henry Chase, but it's not. So I get a lot of documents wrong, and uh, it's it's a mess usually because Chase is not oh, so my you, legal name. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I have something similar because my first name is actually Davis, so I go by my middle name, but it Ooh. sounds like you don't go by either of those names, so it's a little next-level uh, challenge. You, you know, you got to keep people on their toes, though. Absolutely, and that's what 538 does. That's what I do on this podcast, I hope Neil. so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, I'm excited to talk about a couple NBA things tonight because we're both big NBA guys. The NBA's coming back in a few weeks. I'm excited. Um, fingers crossed. Um, on everything up until that all happens because a lot of practice facilities are shutting down um hope for the best uh i still feel weird about everything um i mean we just had an mls team just be like no i'm good uh today so who knows um what this looks like because they were going to a bubble uh we'll we'll see but that's all for another podcast this is just the if everything goes right podcast if everything happens the way it (laughs) seems like it might then let's just look at it from that angle and there are three teams in the Eastern Conference that I really want to focus on because I think the West is far less interesting than the East um, this year. I think there's a lot more intrigue, and I understand that the Bucks have just been beating everybody down, and Giannis is playing 30, point, 30 minutes a game, and they are um, the odds-on favorite, and they should be. However, right behind them, I don't know. I, I'm very confused about a lot of these teams. I... I'm higher on the Celtics than everybody else. Um, Tom Westerham and I were talking of Mass Live last week, and I I just love that that group. They have the their five man lineup has the highest um, uh, effective field goal percentage of any lineup that's played 150 minutes or more this season. They they're just good, and I believe in that group. And I think Tatum and Brown still have another level to get to, um, and they're going to be interesting this summer. But three teams that. I would like to get a feel from you on and what you think about these teams, because I just, I'm not sure. And that's the, the Raptors, the Sixers and the heat. Um, I want to start with the Raptors. Is that okay? Yeah. Let's talk about the defending champ. It's weird because they're defending champs, but it's not really like they're remember that. Champs. Remember? Yeah. Remember the, uh, long ago when we actually had an NBA finals and they actually won. 
Oh, I remember. And Ben Golliver remembers <laughs> of Open Floor and the Washington Post because he was on my podcast a year ago. Um, I, I guess this would have been two years ago now because it's been a year since he signed with uh, the the Clippers. So it was two years ago that I said the Raptors were winning the NBA Finals. And Ben was like, no, no, no. And as the commander of Giannis Inc., um, he was just like, bucks, bucks, bucks. And I st- was just steadfast in my belief that Kawhi and the Raptors were going to win it all with their depth and the best player in basketball. And I, I just liked it. And I didn't think the Warriors had enough in them to do it that many times in a row. And it worked out. And Ben admitted, That's a great pick, man. Dude, I will ride with that until the, I will <laughs> ride again. Yeah, you got, you got to own that forever. I will own that for as long as I possibly can. But... This year's Raptors team, very different. Um, a lot of people love Pascal. He's jumped to a next level. Kyle Lowry is just playing out of his mind. Fred Van Fleet's been injury riddled. Norman Powell has reemerged as an important cog in this group. Terrence Davis is fun. Um, from your perspective, why do so many smart basketball people like the idea of the Toronto Raptors making a NBA Finals run or at the very least, an Eastern Conference Finals run. Like, what is it about them without Kawhi that still gives people hope that they can do something special? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple levels to it in terms of just the hardcore fans. You know, it starts with the idea that, you know, we all want to think that you don't necessarily have to have one of these, you know, handful of superstars that uh, the conventional wisdom says that you must have someone who's at least this good to win. The, uh, the, uh, the idea of this ensemble cast, which is what the Raptors were before Kawhi um, uh, went there, and then now kind of what they've gone back to afterward, I think is very appealing to a lot of basketball fans because it is such a balanced team, so many different contributors, so many guys in their rotation that you know are being asked to do a lot of different things. You mentioned Kyle Lowry. You know, Pascal Siakam has taken a next level to his game this year, but he has not, you know, taken on the Kawhi level of offensive responsibility. And a lot of that lands on Lowry and Lowry's a guy that uh, a lot of, uh, you know, stat heads such as myself, especially have long thought of as being underrated, you know, secretly one of the best players in the league, uh, you know, statistically and kind of the best, one of the best kept secrets in the NBA. And, you know, you look at the rest of that team, you have guys, you mentioned Terrence Davis. I mean, this is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere and is having an amazing season, especially by the numbers, you know, went undrafted. Uh, and and uh, they just have a bunch of guys like that. And so I think it's an especially appealing team if you're, you know, a hardcore hoops junkie uh, like us. And the, uh, I think they're also trying to make a testament to the power of, you know, a good team, a team that plays well during the regular season, but is able to kind of make noise in the playoffs. And we've seen the Raptors try to do that and then sort of uh, be laid waste to by LeBron James in the past. But, you know, this Raptors team this year has a better winning percentage in the regular season than it did last year. It has a better uh, adjusted uh, point differential uh, when you adjust for strength of schedule than it did last year. So there's a lot of metrics that show this team as still being a championship caliber team on paper. And so there's something very appealing about that. And, and uh, I don't think we want to see the cold bucket of water poured on it where it's like, well, they don't really have, you know, their best player is not good enough to uh, traditionally win an NBA championship with, but I think they're an interesting experiment in, in that regard. Uh, and, you know, Kyle Lowry is just a guy, I go back to him because he is somebody that, you know, it was great to see him uh, kind of get that playoff, you know, monkey off of his back last year. And he had long kind of carried this reputation as somebody that shrinks away in the playoffs. Uh, and so seeing him win a championship was really gratifying, but it would be really great to see him prove that he can do it again and do it without somebody like Kawhi and, and somebody of that stature next to him. It would be cool. Um, I wouldn't bet on it, <laughs> but it would be cool. I wouldn't either. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I, I, apologies to all the Raptor fans out there. You know, if you look at our odds that we have at 538, um, it, we give them a 2% chance of defending the title. So there's, so you know, the they're, right they're now in for the, the group listeners that have not seen it so far. Like what are the current odds? So, uh, you know, the top of the list are the Lakers, 30 percent. 
Uh, Clippers, number two, 24%. Bucks, number three, 15%. That feels a little low, like subjectively, when you kind of look at it, especially when you think about the Sixers, which is a team we will talk about later, uh, at 14%. So right there next oh to the God. Bucks. And that's one that we can argue about, uh, you know, in, uh, in a few minutes. And then the Rockets and the Celtics and the Raptors and the Nuggets really are the only teams that have more than a 1% chance uh, or, or actually a 1% or greater chance of winning the championship. The rest of uh, the teams in there are, you know, they, they, if you round their number, it does not go up to 1%. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just glad the Utah Jazz and teams like OKC are not in, included in that. Where we're just like, what are we doing? That, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> the Raptors are interesting because... They remind me of two different teams this year, which is the Hawks team that won 60 games a couple years ago, a team that you're very familiar with, with Demar Carey. Love that one. Yeah, they were (laughs) a lot of fun, easy to root for. They didn't, they all played together as a great group. They were deep. Um, They remind me of them in a lot of ways. And they also remind me a little bit, a little bit of like a modern 04 Pistons, where like Kyle Lowry was the cog on offense and like the Chauncey Billups stuff. Chauncey Billups. Yep. Uh, Pascal being there, Rashid as just the the best player objectively on the team, but maybe not the necessarily go to guy that like he's just like the the expect they need getting going, and then you have Gasol playing the Ben Wallace role, you have OG playing the Tayshawn Prince role, uh, and Fred Van Fleet doing the Rip Van ha- the Rip Hamilton Rip Van Hamilton the Rip Hamilton role. <laughs> Rip I mean, Van Hamilton yeah Rip Van Hamilton Rip that Van should Winkle. be his nickname now yeah there you go um you know what's funny is the reason I always do that was because there was a my U.S. history professor or teacher in, in high school used to call me Rip Van Winkle all the time because I would I, I slept a lot in that class. Fall asleep I would, in class? Yeah, yeah there I you go. a lot. <laughs> um, so he would just call me that. So whenever I see Rip, it's just uh, I have to follow it up with Van Winkle. Um, but I think there's some sort of blend there. So like, but that team needs the best case scenario where they can't run into Giannis. Like they need Giannis to get upset to make the, the NBA finals. They, yep. need, they need some luck. And this is the kind of environment where luck might be on their side. And it's something where things are going to be weird. Teams are going to get upset. There are going to be some guys who are rusty coming out of shape. There's going to be a lot of weird stuff that happens in this bubble. So maybe that's on their side. But they're just a team like that Hawks team a couple years ago where, like, they're really good. They're really fun. They're just built for the regular season. But, like, I, I don't know if they can actually handle a player of Giannis's caliber for a seven-game series. And I just... I don't think they can they can do it. Like I love Pascal, but I don't think the people who are just like, oh, he's doing a lot of what quite. It's like no, it's just not. It's not there. And uh, I don't know. It uh, it will be fun to see. They're easy to root for, um, but I uh, I don't know. I just I can't I can't sign off on a team that relies this much on Kyle Lowry's shoulders offensively running the gauntlet in the East. I just can't. And I love Kyle Lowry, but it's just it's too much for my man. I think that's right. And, you know, I think that that's why if you look at the betting odds, in addition to, you know, the statistical models like we have that take into account things like playoff experience and, and you know, the, the quality of the star players or, you know, the, the top two or three players on a team really comes into focus a lot more in the playoffs than it does during the regular season. And that was one of the things that I think was a little underappreciated about the Raptors last year is they had Kawhi as their superstar but they had a great ensemble cast around him. Almost all of their players were sort of positive players. If you look at, you know, a metric like we, we have something called Raptor, which measures your, your effectiveness on a per possession basis relative to average. But you could also look at real plus minus, similar metrics like that. They had this ridiculously deep cast of supporting characters around Kawhi Leonard. And that was one of the things that was underappreciated about them. But now they're trying to do it with just the supporting cast of characters and without the Kawhi. And, uh, you know, Pascal Siakam is not really that uh, that level of player yet. And even with the Rashid comparison, I mean, he's just not that level defensively uh, mm-hmm. either. And so I think that, you know, that's going to be one of the biggest things is it, one day, if he can kind of take that leap toward being a player of that caliber and you know he's still relatively young you know to his age 25 season this year uh, he probably has a couple of years left of development in him I don't know if his ceiling is going to be uh Rasheed Wallace uh but you know if, if they were kind of counting on him to make that leap and he has made a leap but uh, you know it's pretty unrealistic to ask somebody to to 
step into Kawhi Leonard's shoes and be able to kind of carry that role, uh, you know, and, and not miss a beat. He's my favorite player to watch dribble in the NBA. This was something yeah. I thought about where like he's just it <laughs> it's so fluid now and it just looks so terrifying on the break where when he gets ahead of steam <laughs> he just takes like four dribbles and he's just at the rim again. Where Giannis has the same kind of dynamic where you're just like this guy dribbling a basketball doesn't look fair. Like it just I would be so <laughs> terrified if I was the opposing defender matched up with him where it's like, oh damn it, he's got a full head of steam. Like what do we even do here? Um I, I do love Pascal's dribbling, so I'm glad that that's a part of his game. Um, you mentioned real plus or minus and Raptor. What? There's a lot of misconceptions, I think, about both. But like, do you do you think the real plus minus stat is one of the best indicators of a player's value we have today, or is there a stat like in particular that you still value above all else when you're looking at um, how good a player is um, to his team? I mean, I think you have to look at a bunch of different stats to kind of figure it out. But I do think that um, real plus minus is one of the best ones. Uh, and, and my yardstick for this has always been, so, you know, tell me how good a player is uh, and we'll build a team with those players, you know, and, and based on their, their stat track record in whatever metric you want to um, look at. And then tell me how good that team is going to be because we got all the guys who are good in that and how accurate that prediction is, because you can look at something like player efficiency rating. You get a bunch of guys who are good at PER on the same team. And you can say to yourself, well, this is going to be a great PER team, but does that mean they're going to win a lot of games? I mean, the prediction ability of that stat is not actually that good for a lot of different reasons. You know, I mean, it's a kind of a, it's a very old stat, you know, not to knock John Hollinger or anything like that. It's just, you know, very kind of uh, the first generation of, of basketball metrics. And so it doesn't take that. What makes defense. it outdated? Well, I mean, it doesn't, it, it basically found its current form in like 2001 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take into account player tracking. It really doesn't even take into account uh, a lot of the per possession stuff and research mm. that was done that go, goes into something like box plus minus where in box plus minus, you know, the, uh, it's a regression that tries to match up uh, the box score stats to their influence on a team plus minus while a player is on the court. So it mm-hmm. looks at, you know, well, players that have a lot of steals, for instance, they tend to have a, a really high adjusted plus minus. Like if you look huh. at their net on off rating and things like that. Uh, and, and so you can kind of infer and say, well, Steals must be at least somewhat valuable because the guys that rack up a lot of them also tend to, their teams tend to do a lot better when they're on the court. And if you do that for all the stats, that's how something like box plus minus was created. And that's why box plus minus is actually a better stat than PER is because if you get a bunch of guys who are good at that, you can more reliably predict how good your team will be than if you get a bunch of guys who are good at PER. And so if you kind of take that up the ladder, something like real plus minus, which takes into account not only the player's own box score, but also, you know, how well their team plays when they're on the court after adjusting for their teammates, after adjusting for, uh, for opponents and home court and all kinds of other things. Coaching, I think, is in there. Um, that, that's a better metric at telling me I got a bunch of guys who are good at that and my team is good. And Raptor, I, we designed it to be along the same lines where in addition to the box score, in addition to the um, play-by-play, it also has a player tracking data which wasn't you know available at least when they were designing real plus minus originally i think they have a new version that has some of that in it but we kind of wanted to keep the evolution going where we take into account some of the new data that the nba has released in the past five years but didn't have before that so it's sort of another rung on the evolutionary evolutionary ladder we hope at least so what are some things that you found when you were developing Raptor? What are some th- tracking things you were like, oh, this makes it a better stat than plus minus, box plus minus? Well, I think a lot of them came on defense. Uh, and one of the funniest things was, uh, the, you know, that, that distance traveled metric that they keep that everybody kind of laughed at when they first put out uh, at NBA.com uh, stats. That's actually a decent proxy for perimeter defense. Now, I'm not saying that you should you know, blindly get the leaders in that and, and that you'll automatically have a great defense. And especially if the players knew that that was something that they could kind of juice, maybe they take a little extra route to, you know, uh, run around a little bit if they're off the ball or something like that, you know, to, to 
increase that set. But it's just an interesting uh, example of something that, you know, you may not think is actually important for adding to the predictiveness of a stat. But since defense is still such a such a mystery to all of us, you know, we're, we're trying to get at it uh, almost like piece together a model of something from a bunch of different angles. And you're you're taking into account the on off court stuff. You're taking into account opponent production, something as, you know, kind of rudimentary as how much of the box score did your opponent, you know, your matchup stuff while he was on the court, that tells you something about, you know, how effective you are defensively, especially yeah. if you adjust it for the normal baseline. So uh, it's just a lot of stuff like that, like, you know, off wall screens and things like that, the screen assist that people always talk about that does have value. And that's something that is kind of baked into the offensive version of Raptor uh, as well. So we tried to kind of just, experiment with everything that that they track now on on nba.com and, and try to see if it added anything predictively after you've already accounted for um you know all the box for stuff and all the on versus off stuff and uh, you know kind of shake it up and see what what sticks and uh there were a lot more things like that on defense than there were on offense which is interesting because it tells you that you, you know, we were already getting a pretty clear picture of a player's offensive contribution just from the box score and looking at how his team does with him on the court versus off the court. But I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have predicted because they think about all the little things that go into being an effective offensive player. But it turns out that either those things are being tracked or things that are proxies for those things are already being tracked in, in something like the box score, which I found interesting. Who are your Raptor? 2020 all-stars right now who who does raptor like the most this year well Ra uh, you know raptor loves uh the usual people at the top for the most part james harden is actually leading the league and wins above replacement which is a little hmm. bit interesting i mean people might not think of that uh you know comparatively speaking uh but he just is far and away the best offensive player in the league according to this and that's based on you know looking at the the player tracking and and the box score more than his uh his you know team on versus off split because that's a little bit less impressive than you would expect but once you have the player tracking and the box score stuff it, it kind of gives less weight to the to the on versus off and then you know we got lebron we got Giannis. uh this thinks that lebron has an edge of two tenths of a win above replacement over Giannis. you know if you're kind of tracking the mvp derby Kawhi is number four in that uh, but you get into some interesting names kind of quickly. Rudy Gobert, for instance, uh, ranks fifth. He's ahead of Dame Lillard, Luka Doncic, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, guys like that. Uh, and it's all because of his defense. He's the best defensive player, uh, we think, in the league. And that's not a controversial statement, but I mean, it's by such a large margin compared to the next best player that that's really powering almost like an MVP level campaign, or at least you could kind of uh, put him into that conversation. And I don't think a lot of people would do that. And that's another way in which maybe we, we treat offense and defense separately. We kind of look at great offensive players and we're like, yeah, of course they're going to be MVP candidates. But if you flip that around and have a player who's just as great as like a James Harden, but on defense, and I think you could say that about Rudy Gobert, we're not really having the same types of conversations and probably Bill Russell is maybe the only one that we could, you know, if you go back in history and look at players that were able to elevate themselves into those conversations on the basis of defense, he might be the only one that ever kind of pulled it off. You know, a, a lot of other guys all had to kind of have the two-way label like, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, great on offense and on defense. And, and, you know, LeBron and even Giannis this year is an example of that. Well, you heard it here first. Neil Payne compares Rudy Gobert to Bill Russell. Um, Hey, I, you know what? I, I can stand by that comparison. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if, uh, yeah, if, if you, if people want to at me on that, <laughs> you know, I, I, let's see if we can get Donovan Mitchell in here. I wonder what he thinks about Rudy Gobert's, uh, MVP case this year. I'm sure he's got some, some, <laughs> good, some good thoughts on that. Um, just amazing quotes today about that relationship. Um, those two are not long for each other, folks. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you that one. Yeah. It's a little interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, out in Utah. But, uh, yeah, we can go ahead and write them off. Just a really bad summer for the Utah Jazz. Really bad spring and summer because they were so much fun and the Conley stuff hasn't gone the right way and Mitchell's kind of soured a little bit this year. Gobert playing as well as he was and then everything happened there and then Bogdanovich is gone. So it's just like, ugh. Uh, just write off Utah. Like, I've never written someone off in the playoffs as fast as I did Utah this year. Um, 
Norman Powell, this is a great way to bring everything back to the Raptors um, because I'm a professional, uh, Neil. I can I can bring this back. I don't understand how Norman Powell got back in this rotation as good this year. Like he is 18th in real plus minus this year among every NBA player. Like how did that happen? What is what have you that's, seen or what? That's what a is little the, what, different what from Raptor, but yeah, I mean Norman Powell was a player that I think we all last year were sort of looking at his stats and being like, is he really going to play an important role on a uh, championship caliber team? Really? Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, this year, you know, I don't think that uh, a stat like Raptor is quite as high on him as okay. uh, as it sounds like real plus minus says. Uh, let me look up his, his number right now. Well, no, we've got him as positive, uh, you know, plus hmm. 1.2 per 100 possession, solid player. But, I mean, that's different than it was last year. So I think that, uh, you know, that's another underrated reason. Like I said, the whole Raptors rotation essentially are above average players. And you can build a pretty – darn good team off of that if you if you kind of look down their their roster and you're just like everyone on this team is at least above average you can get to 50 wins or you know uh whatever it would be in the shortened season um pretty quick if if you build a team like that yeah and i also when i like it's a good point about the just having a bunch of good players because i think the pacers um are in a similar category where they only play good players in the rotation like if you go through their not eight nine guy before jeremy lamb got injured it was just like they didn't have anybody great i think old depot's a superstar when he is healthy and when he was yeah. two years ago but who knows when that's coming back and you know simonis is good turner's good Hol- the holiday brothers are good um you just go up and down the list and they, they just don't have a bad player in their rotation they just have like one elite player and then now brogdon there who's just been great for them too um the other thing I like about this Raptors team, and you talked about measuring defense and how hard it is to, we're still learning. It seems like all sports outside of football, we've learned how to, we, we haven't learned how to measure defense all that well, because we're still struggling with this in baseball. And um, I am curious, have you seen anything? Is there anything specific? Because the five-man lineup of Lowry, Van Vliet, OG, Pascal, and Gasol are third in opposing effective field goal percentage and they're eighth in offensive. So like they're efficient on both ends of the court, but they're actually a more efficient defense. Is there anything that you could point to? That's like, this is why this group of five and they're the flag that's going to close in important playoff games for them is so good defensively and limiting good shots from other teams. Well, I think Marcus Gasol is kind of the obvious person to point to in that because he has long been one of, if not the best defensive big man in the league or in that conversation for a long time. If you look at the advanced stats, especially, you know, he's a plus 3.1 points per 100 possessions on defense by Raptor. And that's kind of a down year for him last year. He, after coming to Toronto, especially he was plus 5.8 last year um, uh, after, after that trade. So, I mean, he has long been in the conversation for the best defensive bigs. And that's another way in which, you know, maybe he's a little like Rudy Gobert in that regard of like, we don't really necessarily think of him as almost building a Hall of Fame case or something like that. You know, I don't know if he's he's really there yet, but this idea that you can kind of build a whole career off of just, you know, strong defense. That doesn't necessarily connect. We've seen a lot of guys build Hall of Fame resumes off of just pure offense and whatever they give on defense is kind of gravy. Um, but we don't see that as often uh, when you flip it around, or at least they have to be like a, you know, Dennis Rodman type like defense plus rebounding, you know, and be historic at that or something. Um, but Marcus Gasol is sort of an all-time defender. And so that jumps out to me. But again, all of those guys are, are good at least you know, solid defenders. OG also, you know, really good defender. Interesting. And I'm a big OG guy and I want to see what happens there. Cause I, I was so excited about point OG in summer league, which feels like forever ago where they were like, we're going to try this out because I it was forever ago. It's a year ago. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, that was something that I think if the Raptors are going to get back to the next level, that lottery pick has to hit. Um, he's someone that really needs to develop along with Pascal and he has to, I mean, he's been injured and stuff like that. And he, his role was limited having Kawhi around and now it, he has more opportunity, but like, I think for him to get to that next level and not be a Tayshaun Prince type is he has to be able to dribble and he has to be able, cause I think his shot's okay. I just think he has to become like a point forward where he can manage things in the high pick and roll and find Fred Van Fleet in the corner and do certain things. And, um, that we'll, we'll have to see. Um, and Nick nurse is maybe, 
like the best player development coach right now. Like you could make the case that just what he can do with all these different parts and make them all work and develop is pretty remarkable. Um, but that's all I got on the Raptors right now. I think we've 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 established the Raptors are good. Um, that is what we're here on this podcast. Good tell team. People who they are a good basketball team that will not win yes. the NBA championship. That is something I think we can both agree on. I mean, you know, one uh, what did oh, I say no. it was a Don't one percent, two percent chance. I'm saying there's a chance. No, I mean, again, it's it's uh, it's unlikely because again, you keep coming back to that history of teams that. Uh, that don't have one of those sort of inner circle star superstar type players of which there are, I don't know, five. Like I, where, where does the short list, you know, end in terms of that, but that's what the Raptors have always kind of been up against. And then in their previous incarnation, pre Kawhi and, and now they're kind of back into that and post Kawhi. And that's why they don't have a lot of believers among uh, folks like us that are kind of handicapping the the championship race, despite how good their record is. They've got a great record. They they have a better record than the Celtics, certainly better than the Sixers. They're not Bucks level, but they've won two more games than the Clippers. Let that sink in for a second, that that uh, the Clippers got Kawhi from the Raptors, and the Raptors have won two more games than them. I would still uh, rather have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on my basketball team, even if it meant I would less two, two <laughs> less regular season games. I think I'll, two I'll... less regular season games. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's one regular season win for each of those guys. <laughs> exactly. Um, the Sixers. Um, we have to. That's an that. interesting team to talk about. They are very. I think that's the most interesting team. I mean, we could talk about. Ooh. You know, you you kind of didn't want to talk about the the West, which which I understand, but the Rockets are, I think, the only other team in that conversation of like this is a weird team, and we don't know what the heck is going to happen. Well, the Rockets can win the title. In the playoffs. People need to understand that the Rockets come in the title. Like that is something that I talked about with Jovan Boo of the the Athletic a few weeks ago. We did it. We ranked our playoff contenders. Um, just from down, like all the way down to the Wizards up. And the Rockets are in that group for me because this, like the, the everything about what they're doing in Maury and D'Antoni met um, to hash out the rotation. D'Antoni's actually going to expand it by all accounts from just an eight traditional, like D'Antoni likes to play a small bench. He's going to expand it right. out. Um, their offensive lineups, I mean, Macklemore has turned into an offensive just machine because all he does is shoot threes now and he is really good at it. Um, they are not going to play any centers. Like they are going to roll with these lineups that if they are connecting and there are some lineups they have out there that play like 260 minutes together this season, that 86 or 88% of their shots are threes. It's are threes, insane. Yeah. Like almost every shot, some of these lineups that get heavy minutes are threes. That is easily a recipe for like a, an NBA title. Like if they are hot, for a month and a half in the bubble and everything rolls the right way, then yeah, the Rockets can win the title because like you said, they may, they have the best Raptor player available in James Harden. <laughs> they have Westbrook who is no longer shooting threes, who is cutting like a madman, who is doing everything that, I mean, MVP level Russ was doing. I mean, this group without Capella and Rocco and PJ playing the their default big roles to a great extent, and I think Covington's just better fit for what they're trying to do anyway. Now that, like, yeah, they can they can win the title. Do I think would I bet on them? But I think people need to give them a better shot. The Sixers are in that Eastern Conference thing where it's like if everything goes right because they have enough top end talent, they can get there. They were a bad roll away from winning the title last year because I think if they beat the Raptors in that series, they win the title, which has got to hurt Philly fans because I think that. Uh, I really believe the Sixers would have gotten out of the East and they still would have beaten Milwaukee. And I think whoever gotten out of the East was going to beat Golden State anyway. But um, yeah, that, that especially given the injuries the Warriors had. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it is a great what if. It really is a great what if. Why are people falling for the Ben Simmons shooting free throws thing again? He's buffed now and he's shooting free throws. And people are like, mm, I, uh, when are we done with this? When are we done with this? I can't do this anymore. I want to love Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, if he shot six, seven threes a game at like a 32% clip, he's like the third best player in the NBA. Right? Yeah. But he doesn't do it. So it's no. like, I don't know what to put him at. Like, he's just a, he's so frustrating. I know. He, he's, I mean, he really is the most, I think he's the most polarizing player in the league. Mm. I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure who else is in that. I mean, Harden might be in that conversation, to be honest. But uh, yeah, and Simmons, you know, for what it's worth, yeah, 
I can see that too. Um, but for what it's worth, our model thinks that Simmons' most, you know, largest amount of value actually comes on defense, and it's not even mm-hmm. close. Um, and, and if you break it out and look at, you know, where that's coming from, it's coming from both the box score component and the on versus off. You know, the Sixers, they they are best with Embiid on on the court defensively, and of course that whole like Embiid Horford. What do you do there? You know, both of those guys at least are great defenders. And and Simmons can kind of complement that uh, much better on defense than he does on offense. And so that is one of the reasons why we rate him really well. You know, we think he's worth 2.4 points per 100 possessions better than an average player. And that's with his offense being basically average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really just about his his impact on defense. And, uh, you know, that interacts with guys like Embiid, you know, in terms of he's a great defender, too. This this team can still, with all the size that it has, you know, despite everything that's happened, this team can throw great defensive lineups at you uh, and and force you to be able to outgun them, basically. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the playoffs, offensive efficiency goes down. I mean, that's one of the one of the yeah. arguments for this team, I think, in the in the playoffs is this is a team that can clamp down at the time of the season when, when you want to clamp down. There's a million reasons why the Sixers can't or won't win the title, you know, uh, and the thing that I'm most interested in is what do we make of their bizarre home versus road split in the bubble where depending on how you spin it, every game is neutral. Maybe that will help them because they're not playing in hostile road territory mm-hmm. where they struggled so much. But also every game is away from uh, the Wells Fargo Center, you know, so uh, that's, I think, one of the more interesting, bizarre, I don't even know, uh, you know, what to necessarily make of it, uh, storylines or subplots. But that's one of the Sixers great weaknesses this year, along with like the total lack of fit that they have. But the on paper talent and the fact that they seem to have that defensive potential at the very least are probably the two reasons why we still think and Simmons being healthy again, that county can't be understated because back in March, you know, looking toward the stretch run, it wasn't clear that Simmons was even going to be available for a first round playoff series, which by the way, they would have to play on the road based on, you know, the seed line that they were headed for and their terrible road record being what it is. Now, that kind of goes out the window and you've got Simmons back, you know, at, at full strength, he's going to be a hundred percent. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why they gained a lot of ground in our model. Uh, that and the fact that they have like a pretty easy schedule. If you look at the last, you know, the stretch run, the mini regular season, whatever we're calling it, the finale to the regular season, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I have no idea what to call it. Um, <laughs> well, who do you think they need to avoid? Because like you said, just losing the home and away splits and just the neutral site games, like, who is their worst matchup in the first round? Like based on who they can end up with, like who do they need to make sure they avoid? Who do the Sixers need to make sure they do not play in a seven game series to start out because they are losing that series? Well, I mean, they were a little bit outside the range in which they would have to play Milwaukee in the first round, which is a good thing for them because I think that that team uh, would definitely be kind of kryptonite for for what they do um, with all of the shooting and then also what Giannis can can kind of bring. And and that Milwaukee team is no joke defensively either. I think yeah. that the Sixers would have a lot of trouble. So down the line, that is obviously going to be uh, you know probably the biggest impediment to them. But in terms of first round teams to avoid, I don't know. I mean, Toronto is the first round team that everybody kind of wanted to avoid in that little like five, six, seven, uh, or I guess it's five and six seed uh, log jam because they, hmm. you know, look so they're the defending champs. But then they went on a little mini run before the um, before the layoff. And so sort of solidified that second seed. So I don't know. I mean, between Boston and Miami, I think Boston is a better team. And so, you know, if you're Philly, you'd want to avoid them, but I don't know. I mean, uh, we'll talk about the heat. It sounds like in a little bit, because they're another one of those sneaky dark horse teams. There's a lot of, you know, interesting teams in that, uh, you know, seeds two through six in the East, you know, you could kind of throw that into like a blender and, and get any team order out of that. And they would be kind of generate interesting matchups no matter what. Also, we just need Jimmy versus Philly in round one. Like we just, I mean that we just narratively would be fantastic. Just the bloodbath between those two, because both teams like Jimmy would not be able to handle himself if he lost in round one to Philadelphia and also Joel and 
Ben Simmons the meltdown of losing to Miami in round one and Jimmy in round one. Like I just and the the circular firing squad with Brett Brown and oh, all he's that. Gone if they yeah. lose round one, right? Like there's no way he survives that. He, he I I think that that's true. Yeah. Um, and then you wonder, do they is Embiid and Simmons both back next year? Are they still going to keep running it back and figure it? Like I, there's so many different questions there. Um. What has Tobias Harris not been able to do that Jimmy Butler excelled um, with Philly last year? Like, what have you seen that just like, because LAC Tobias seemed like he was coming into his own because he was handling the ball a lot. He was doing a lot of point forward stuff. He was leading that offense. They were super efficient. Like that Clippers team was really good with him and Gallo and friends. And he is not the same player in Philadelphia. And there's just... Obviously, him and Jimmy have very different um, personalities. I mean, the Tobias and Boban stuff is very, uh, very great, and we miss it every day. But, like, Jimmy's not doing any of that. I don't think Tobias Harris is getting into the practice facility at 3 o'clock in the morning and wondering where his teammates are. I don't think that's a, a Tobias Harris personality trait. Um, what have you seen, though, on the court that Tobias is just, he's not going to do what Jimmy did, and that's going to be a inhibitor of what they can actually do in the playoffs? Well, I mean, the big thing is Tobias Harris is a good player and Jimmy Butler is a great player. I mean, that's sort of like there are only a few great players to be had in the league and Jimmy Butler is one of them and Tobias Harris isn't. Um, but I, and I think it shows up in a lot of different ways, like Jimmy Butler uh, is able to be one of the most efficient players in the league, which I think we don't necessarily give him credit for while, you know, taking on that sort of lead scorer or co-lead scorer uh, role. Uh, next to a guy like Embiid and next to Simmons. I mean, he was able to kind of fit into that and be a lot more efficient than Harris has been this year. Uh, and, you know, he gets to the line. He's a great defensive player, which Tobias Harris has a has a negative defensive metric, uh, at least according to Raptor. Uh, Jimmy Butler, a better, you know, ball handler and, and a more efficient facilitator. So there's like a million different ways in which having Jimmy Butler on your team makes you a better team than, than having Tobias Harris. And I think that all of the weird fit stuff with the Sixers this year, it's not on Tobias specifically. I mean, I think it probably is more on Al Horford than, uh, than, than on Tobias, but that's sort of a, you know, uh, a factor in it. Uh, and when he was asked to play a lesser role last year, he was more efficient. You know, uh, if, if you look at his uh, points generated per 100 possessions on, on the Philly with Jimmy team versus the not, you know, and, and asking um, him to play an expanded role, you kind of see the strain be put on his game, you know, as he's being um, kind of pushed to the limits of what he can be asked to do. The Al Harford stuff we'll get to in a second because I I think we need to just really drive home the point that that is um, an all time terrible signing. Like I think we just that is going to be one of those. I don't know how you move that contract. I mean every contract's movable in basketball, but like I don't know that that one just it sucks. Um, do you believe and does what do the metrics tell you and do you guys at five thirty eight think in today's NBA the way the game is played? that a team whose best player is a big can win a title, that they'll get enough touches to make it worthwhile to actually have a big as your best player. Do you think that's possible? Can Joel Embiid be the best player on a title winning team? I think Embiid specifically can be. I don't know if you're taking like, you know, generic star big man or whatever. Like Jokic but Embiid or Towns can... or guys like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know what? Those guys do represent I think an evolution of the big man in the NBA that is more in line with what you would expect from a great perimeter player. I'm not saying that they're at the same level in terms of the things they can do, but if you look at some of the stuff, Jokic can pass, you know, as well as a lot of guards can, you know, and, and, and Embiid is, you know, a pretty good passer in his own right. Uh, and, and so all these guys can do a lot more different stuff than what we think of as being a big man. So I, I don't think that that precludes you. If you took a big man in the mold of somebody from like the nineties or the two thousands or whenever, you know, however far you want to go back and said, can they win in 2020 as being the best player in a team? I think the answer is kind of clearly no, but that's why these guys have evolved the way that they have. And I think Embiid is one of the great examples of a guy being able to evolve to possess a lot of the different skills that, 
define him as being more than just a traditional big man while also being a great defensive presence. You know, I, I think that that is one of the reasons why when he's healthy, he makes a team, you know, like the Sixers, uh, uh, even, even a team with uh, some of the challenges that they have in terms of fitting people around him makes them a, a you know, a much more competitive team. Hmm. I'm not convinced. I just... You don't think I, so. <laughs> I just get really worried about the amount of possessions. And I look at who the best teams in the NBA are, who, if you have a great big, but you have zero star guards or forwards or just wings around them, I think it's impossible to win a title. I just do. I don't think they'll get the ball enough. They'll get enough opportunities to really make a sizable difference in terms of your actual contention. However, if you have an all-star guard, if you have a Bradley Beal within Nikola Jokic, yeah, you could sell me on it. If you don't have that guy, if you don't have a top 10 guard or wing next to them, I, I just, I don't think you can get there. I really don't. And you look at today's best players and who the best teams are. Like you go Harden, Steph, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, Paul George, like Westbrook, like whoever, whenever you start this list, Luca and Trey are the best players from their draft. They're not, it's not DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley. Both of them are, might turn into solid players, but like the best two players of that draft are two league guards. Um, I just, I don't think you can win. And just the most teams, the, the smart way to build is just start from the guard and wing spot. And then if you stumble into an all time Joel Embiid type guy, sure. But I, I don't think you should ever hope for that to be the case. I think that should be like a lot. It's something you awkwardly stumble into, like the Nuggets did, where, they drafted Jokic in the second round and you're just like, Oh, this worked out way better than we thought. And also you're the nuggets. Um, and you know, what's even more interesting about the nuggets. I think their future and their contention revolves entirely on Michael Porter jr. If Michael Porter jr. Turns into a star wing who can just close games for them with Jamal Murray and open up better shots for him. Who's like weirdly a bad shooter in the NBA. Um, then they're a different team. If he doesn't, and they're playing Will Barton and friends, I don't think they win the title. I I think it's fascinating, but that that's just my team building mindset in today's NBA. I don't disagree. I mean, I think for the especially if you do you want to play on easy mode or do you want to play on hard mode? Not that there yeah. is even an easy mode to win a championship, but it's a lot easier when you do build around those perimeter guys. Yep. But there's a reason why teams are lining up around the block and will be presumably um, uh, after the season to make offers to a guy like Anthony Davis, for instance. I mean, that's the counterpoint, right, is that he's a big man that does so many different things that you can, he can kind of cover for a lot of uh, the, the production that, uh, that you don't think of a big man as being able to do. And it makes it easier to find guys around him that slot in. And I think Joel Embiid when healthy is in the same conversation as a guy like Anthony Davis. Yeah. Davis is a good, I mean the new best one that I cannot wait to see what happens is Ja versus Zion. Cause the Grizzlies are already good. Yes. They're going to be in the playoffs most likely with their schedule. Um, and you know, said the West wasn't interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, they're the NBA is doing everything they can to make the West interesting. By we need Zion. That's true. The, that is the we true. Need Zion yeah. sweepstakes is very interesting. Um, but I want to see what that looks like. How good? Like what those two guys? What their trajectory looks like? What they can do with their teams? Because the Grizzlies are ahead of schedule. The Pelicans with Zion are ahead of schedule. Like we'll we'll see what happens. But I'm very interested to see what it looks like with. Zion, who can't shoot, and Jaw, who's just a freak athlete who can do everything and um, is a lead ball handler, and Zion's a big. I just, I want to know. I, I want to see what this looks like five years from now, but unfortunately, we have to actually watch this stuff and see what happens. Um, next up, and our last team that I want to pick your brain about, the Miami Heat. <sighs> the biggest thing when I go through the Heat's numbers, and I wonder if you see this too, we, we look at Spo's teams as these defensive juggernauts. But what's different about this year's team is that they're so efficient offensively. Like when you look at all their different five end lineups and you look across the league, like their lineups are just bloodbaths offensively. Like they're just destroying teams offensively. And you have Duncan Robinson shooting 12 threes a game and only threes. You have Goran Dragic just being a six man monster. You have Bam Adebayo just turning into Draymond Green. You have Jimmy Butler who doesn't shoot threes, but is still super efficient. Like he does not shoot any threes anymore. Um, I don't know how they're as efficient as they are. Like Kendrick Nunn doesn't seem like a very efficient player, but like they're just 
they're good and their points per possession numbers are good. Explain to me, how are the Heat good offensively? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, and it's different from, you know, what they were last year. This yes. is a team that ranked 26th last season. Obviously, different team, very different makeup. Jimmy Butler kind of adds that dimension. And that's more evidence to my point earlier about how Jimmy Butler is a truly great player. But, I mean, this team also uh, is has shot the three really well. I mean, that's sort of uh, – if you look at their uh, numbers in terms of they lead the league in three-point percentage and they lead the league in free-throw attempts as a share of all shots. So that means that they are almost playing like that, that Mori ball dream of you're getting the line a lot, you're getting inside, you know, you're kind of getting quality chances in that regard. And then you're also shooting the lights out from downtown. If you lead the league in both of those categories, you almost automatically are going to have one of the best offensive efficiency numbers in the league because it's just such an efficient combination of things. And, you know, you rattled off the name of all the guys that, that are having really great offensively efficient seasons on that team. You know, they're right up there. Dallas, to me, is another team that has a ton of guys having efficient seasons. They do have that sort of centerpiece in Luka that is kind of making things easier for everyone else. But those guys still have to convert on those chances, even if they are easier. And I think it's like a little bit of a similar story with Jimmy Butler and the Heat and all the guys around him who are having these like crazy efficient seasons, like Duncan Robinson averaging 121.6 points per 100 possessions that he kind of personally finishes. Yeah. Uh, and, and Derek Jones Jr., 124.3 points per 100 possessions. Bam Adebayo, 117.3. These guys are all like basically – when they end a possession or when Butler ends a possession, it's basically the best offense in the league. It's just, I don't think people realize that, right? Like, I, I can't wait to listen to the analysis about the Heat because I think people are going to talk about it. Like, oh, the Heat with Jimmy and Bam, just this staunchy defensive team. They're going to they're gonna drub it down. They're going to turn it into a dirty, nasty game. It's going to be really hard to score on them, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't think people know what the Heat are now. Like you said, they're playing Mori Ball. Like it's a very different team than what they were a year ago. And I, I guess most of it just goes to, like you said, Jimmy and Duncan Robinson. And I, I mean, Tyler Hero looks like a player and he's shooting the ball well. And I don't yeah. know, man. They're deep as hell. Even Derek Jones Jr. Well, some of it has to do has to do with pace, right? You yeah. know, they're they're one of the slowest paced teams, and and I think when when you play that style, people automatically assume that you're also a grinded out defensive team, and they're good defensively. I mean, they rank 12th in in defensive efficiency, but their offense is so much better. But it gets a little bit obscured by by that pace factor. What are they missing? When you look at a, a potential contender this year, what is your, their biggest flaw in your opinion? Well, I think, uh, you know, most people would tell you it's the second, you know, complimentary star next to Jimmy Butler, because one of the things that we've looked at in the past, when we're kind of, we talked about this with, with the Raptors is it's about the number one player on your team for sure, but it's also about numbers two and three. And generally when we look at teams that are good enough to win the championship, they have to have like, top five player is their best player. And then like maybe top, you know, 10 to 15 is their second best. And then another top, you know, 20 or 15 player as their third best. And really when we look at the heat, they have a player that could be in that top five conversation, maybe in terms of Jimmy Butler as their best player, but then who is the number two, you know, it's a little bit of that Toronto Raptors, although the Raptors, you know, don't have even maybe as their best player that, uh, you know, I don't know who, uh, Lowry, if you're being very generous with the stats, maybe is like a top 10, 15 player or something like that. So in that sense, the the Heat are a little bit further along, but they don't really have that that number two or that number three that's in the same conversation. And it's a little bit one of those teams built on depth of contribution around the star. And we've seen a lot of those teams just kind of not be able to to go all that deep in the playoffs. And that's why one of the reasons why I like with the Sixers, you know, individually, if you look at Embiid and assume he's healthy and you look at the full range of Ben Simmons contributions and, and you look at the on paper performance of some of the other guys like Josh Richardson or, or whomever on that team, you could kind of build a case that they have, you know, two players at least at the top and then maybe a few other surrounding pieces that 
stretch the definition, but are more of a, a title-ready core than somebody like the Heat or somebody like the Raptors. Am I making that case? No, not necessarily. But I'm just saying that's one of the reasons why, you know, if you're talking about teams that are dark horses, that's why the Sixers keep showing up in that conversation, why a team like the Heat don't really show up as much in that conversation, or especially the Raptors. Hmm. Is there someone that you're looking at, because the Heat are obviously going to want Giannis and get in on that, but is there someone, when you're looking at the second and third guy next to Jimmy, who is who is that player that makes the most sense as the, the perfect complimentary guy for him and Bam? Who is it? That's like, re- that's like realistically, a poss- like it's just a realistic possibility in the next year or two. Gosh, I don't know, because the Heat have always been a team that, uh, you know, after the big splash with the big three, they have not been overly active in terms of going out and getting some of the bigger name guys. Jimmy Butler kind of fell to them because it just was the right situation at the right time. But they're much more of one of those drafts, develop, build from within. It's kind of Pat Riley's team building philosophy and, and Spolstra's philosophy of kind of developing guys. So it does feel like that would be going out and just getting somebody on, you know, the shopping list would be out of character for them uh, in a lot of ways. Now, again, Jimmy Butler is kind of a great exception to that, and that has kind of put them where they are. But they've always been one of those teams that's like good team, deep team, make the playoff type of team, not necessarily make that much noise in the playoffs. And and they've seemed to be content with that. So I, I don't know who the right answer is for them, but I also don't know if that's like in their DNA in terms of how they think about building a team, right? Well, I also think it depends on how they fare this year, right? And if it was a normal playoff stakes, then that like I think Pat Riley is going to look at this roster and see what they do. Like, how close are they? Like, do they win the first round series? Do they knock out the Sixers and then take the Bucks to seven? That changes how he looks at. It. He's like, okay, we're close. Maybe I should cash in some chips and see what I can do here. Can I go after Bradley Beal? Can I go after? Um, I think Beal would probably make them the Eastern Conference favorite in the year. I don't know if he wins them a title. I just the two way stuff still scares me with him. Just his defensive numbers were putrid this year, but he's a top ten offensive player now in the league. Um, Oladipo is my favorite idea because I think Oladipo and Jimmy would just be whew, the havoc those two would wreck, and then Bam back there like it, it, that would just be you talk about a pain in the ass team to play. It's Victor Oladipo at full health and Jimmy Butler. Those two seem like yeah. they actually really feed off each other really well. And Victor Oladipo's Puget threes and the way he pushes, that would just be really fun. And then when they want to slow it down, they can slow it down with Jimmy. I think that's like the perfect yin and yang thing where it's like, yeah, I could see them winning the title. I really could. And people forget, you know, when Oladipo was healthy, which admittedly has been kind of a long time like two since years that now. was true, yeah. at least in terms of full health. But he was like a no joke MVP conversation player. And obviously, you know, it's been a long road since then. There's no guarantees that he could kind of get back to that level. He, even when he's tried to play over the past couple of years, he hasn't quite hit that level. Still really good. Um, But, you know, if you show that spark at any point, it could still be in there. You know, that's, uh, that's one of those guys that you take a flyer on, I think. And, and, um, under the the fact that the upside is just so large that if you do have Jimmy Butler and you do have Victor Oladipo at sort of vintage Victor Oladipo status, that, then we really are talking about like two top five caliber players as your best uh, two players. And then we're talking about a championship um, run potentially. All right, Neil. Well, this has been great. Um, out of the three, who do you like the best? It sounds like the Raptors as you're most likely of the three to be like, who do I, who do I feel <laughs> great about? of those of the three that we've talked about tonight who are you most you know yeah of the three in terms of i'm most interested in watching the sixers because i've been most interested in watching them all season long and just been confused by them intrigued by them the whole you know range of emotions on them and they're the team that our model still believes in yeah you know and so when i look at that i you know, if I could short that pick, if I could short the model, I probably would on their six on the odds for the Sixers winning the championship or winning the East or whatever. And the Raptors are the kind of a feel good team, you know, not to take anything away from the heat because they're also interesting for the reasons that we just talked about. But I mean, I, I do think that they're sort of a sentimental pick, the proof that, you know, you can get spurned by a 
star like Kawhi Leonard and still have some kind of future because they've, it's just been such a great story to see them, you know, bounce back from that. And at least in the regular season, not miss a beat, but I know there's a lot of Toronto fans that have been, you know, very scarred from, from the way that these seasons ended every leading up to last year. And uh, it, this, this year does sort of have a lot of those same, you know, earmarks written all over it, but it would be great to see them at least win a playoff series. I think this year. All right. Well, Neil, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the time. We can listen to you on Hot Takedown 538 Sports Podcast that I listen to every week. It's great stuff. Um, we can read Thank you you. 538.com. Is there anything you would like to plug before we get out of here? Um, no, I mean, I think you did the plugging for me. Like I said, hot, uh, like you said, hot takedown, uh, is our, is our sports podcast that you can listen to it on Spotify and, uh, iTunes and all the places that you, that you probably listen to chase the podcast too. There you go. Neil, always a pleasure. Let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. This has been Ingram radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.